Welcome to the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast. Hate week continues. And this time I'm going to do a dissection of the Dirt Burglars with our own Ian Boyd. Ian, how the hell are you, man? Good. This is a this is always a very busy, introspective week. I'm not introspective, but uh, I guess it's the opposite of that. A very contemplative week for me. I always like overthink this game from 100 angles. I tend to do the same. Um, I think I have a, a high level of confidence, which actually distresses me and makes me wonder what my blind spots are that I'm not, not seeing or acknowledging. So what Ian and I are going to try to do in this podcast is dissect OU where they are now, uh, and then talk about some of their strengths, some of their weaknesses, and then talk about it from the OU perspective. How can they beat, how would they plan and game plan and who they want to emphasize to beat Texas? Uh, we often try to present this as like, here's how Texas can do this. Here's how Texas can do that. Sometimes it's useful to flip the, flip the battlefield, as it were, and think about the enemy's perspective and what Texas might use as countermeasures, or frankly, if we're just not worried if they try a certain tactic. So does that sound good to you, Ian? Yep. All right. Before we do that, I want to thank one of our long-time, long-term sponsors. He is a crack financial guru and a great guy to boot. His name is David McClellan. He's a former Texas swimmer, a multiple national championship Texas swimmer, and he's a partner with Form Financial Management. He's a fiduciary registered investment advisor. Not your typical advisor. He spent most of his career in executive roles with Morningstar and Pershing, and he is really unique in his value, value proposition because he's a subject matter expert, not only in terms of general finance, but also retirement. And specifically, the hidden tax bomb that many of us have in our retirement accounts. Many of us dutifully save to our 401ks, our IRAs, and we think we're doing everything right. And what we're actually doing is creating a massive tax liability if you don't maneuver the last years of how you utilize that uh, income correctly. David does a much better and much more sophisticated job of understanding and explaining this. In fact, he's written white papers on this. He's also consulted by Kiplinger Magazine on a nine-part series on just this very subject. Beyond that, he's also just expert in everything with regards to the scope of financial matters. If this sounds interesting to you, if you're someone who's interested in building wealth or maintaining wealth, uh, I think David is someone you might want to talk to. Reach out to him at 312-933-8823. You can also find his contact information in the, in the write-up for this podcast, uh, wherever you listen to it. You'll see it in the write-up. You can contact him, his email, or you can you know drop him a line. He'll do a 30-minute free consultation with you. He also does uh, bi-weekly webinars on various topics. They're free. They're extremely edifying. And I recommend all of you, whether you call David or not, Go read his nine-part article in, in Kiplinger Magazine because it actually changed substantially how I do a lot of stuff now, and uh, I owe that all to David. So give him a call. Great guy, great longhorn, really sharp. All right, Ian, let me pick the brain of another sharp guy. That's you. Mm. I want to go very quickly without getting too deep or caught in the minutia about OU's starting lineup, their depth chart, and how it's shifted a little bit and how the OU that was the start of the season that blew out Arkansas State at their place, some of those star players 
are not going to be major emphases or emphases, I should say, in the Cotton Bowl against Texas. And you're going to see some new faces. So let's start with the Sooner offense. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, of course, is going to be the quarterback. Uh, quite the opposite of many preseason prognostications from Sooner fans that Jackson Arnold was going to be taking over by game three. Uh, didn't happen. In fact, you know, hey, maybe it put a little spur in Dylan Gabriel because it's, it's frankly, even though they had weak competition, it's the best Dylan Gabriel I've seen five games in a row at OU. Yeah. Can I give also a quick like 15 second soapbox on the five star freshman quarterback thing? If it's 17 seconds, we end the podcast. Okay. All right. There was a window of time this earlier in the last decade where five-star freshmen were starting a lot and playing a lot. And it was in this perfect in-between where offenses were running more spread, simplifying everything for the quarterback, and defenses hadn't caught up. Now, defenses have caught up. They know how to make football more complicated for quarterbacks again. And the days of like just plugging in your five-star quarterback and just like making it really easy, like just throw here, throw here, those are gone. I think you nailed it. That's exactly right. I'm thinking of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, he and yeah, he's the ultimate. Now he's the ultimate example, but he's also the ultimate example of your example of your of your point, which is clearly an NFL quarterback, clearly has all the tools, but he also had elite wideouts. Yeah. Uh, great running backs behind him, you know, people who could score a, a serviceable offensive line. And they just said, hey, we've got better talent across the board. Drop back and throw to the open guy. And it's going to be this guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, he didn't have a lot of reads, let's say. Um, I don't know. And Trevor Lawrence would still probably be pretty good as a freshman. Yeah, he's I don't think he'd have I don't think he'd have the overwhelming success that he had just a few years ago. Right. I, I yeah. think he threw. I, th I think he'd throw more picks. I think he'd hold on to the ball more and get you know, sack fumbles, stuff like that. Uh, it's a really good point, Ian. Uh, it's really well said. Hey, look, I don't. We don't need to go to a huge thing on Dylan Gabriel, but I here is why I think it's the best I've seen him at OU. He's he's always been pretty gifted at hitting hitting certain routes, particularly deep routes over the middle, middle hash. Uh, deep post, he's always thrown a beautiful ball since UCF. Um, I've seen him do really nice slant and goes, but the point of all of those is sort of the middle of the field, right? And a lot of the times it's a one-shot read. You'd have these weird things where he'd struggle to just like throw a five-yard out. Like the ball would skip nine feet in front of the receiver, right? Or it would launch over like, you know, just... Weird control issues. I haven't seen that this year. Have you at all? Uh, not as bad as like say last year, but I don't know that he's particularly still very good at those. Yep. There, there. He still is at times pretty mid on those, as they say. Oh God, Ian, already <laughs> annoying me. You did that on purpose. Um, he's almost like. You know, th this offense, the Veer and Shoot Bryles offense, is already an exploration of like, what if we were only good at things like the barren bones necessities, things that you need to run offense? And what if we were just like very, very good at them? That's like already the nature of the offense. 
Dylan Gabriel is like, what if a college quarterback was only good at the things that made for good college quarterbacking? Yeah. Deep shots and improvisation. And like, really, I'm just going to keep saying this, just, just really mid everything else. What would happen? And I feel like Dylan Gabriel is the answer to that science experiment. When you pick up hipster lingo, it irritates me on so many levels because it's also it's also not natural to you. And <laughs> I, yeah, I know you're just doing it to to attack me in some way, uh, but that's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna soldier on. I, I think you make a good point. I also think we underestimate his legs and overestimate his legs at the same time. Uh, I've been reading people or, or comments, people saying, "Hey, we got to really worry about containment and all that." And yes, we do need to contain. We need to stay in pass lanes. It's generally a good idea against almost any kind of quarterback. But given the choice between someone breaking loose in the secondary and Dylan Gabriel scrambling for eleven yards, we'll take Dylan Gabriel scrambling for eleven yards. Also, with the possibility of a shot on him, which is yeah. a good, always a good thing. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel needs to watch out for containment in case Jalen Catalan has uh, got a beat on him, you know? Yes, no question. Um, in terms of statistics, I mean, he's an incredibly experienced quarterback. Um, he's almost, over his career, you talk about being a proficient college quarterback. He's almost up to nearly nine yards per attempt over his career. And yeah, some of that was at UCF, but this year it's, you know, he's almost at like nine and a half, 10 or something like that. Um, look, his opponents are his opponents, uh, but he's, he's played well in, in most games. The few games where I did see OU's pass game held down were instructive because it was the only two defenses that they played with a real pulse. Iowa State's a weird outlier. I don't even know how to characterize them. They might stink. I don't know. But he lit them up. Make no mistakes. They were also blowing coverages. Like, there were guys running wide open. And yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what was going on. Now, every now and then, John Heacock, a guy we admire, does get lit up. I mean, he's not invulnerable. Uh, but typically, it doesn't look like that. Yeah, it was so, a bizarre game. Yeah. Um, rather than going down that rabbit trail, which I think we could both spend a lot of time on. Um, he is very consistent about hitting. Well, actually, I've seen him miss a couple deep throws. He's just, they take a lot of shots and he hits a lot of them. Yeah, he does. He usually leads his receiver pretty well on a go or a post. And uh, you just, but if you take that away, then you're left with the impro improvisation, which is, uh, you know, very solid, but it's not like he's more, um, he's more Colt McCoy than Vince Young. Right. And uh, that even that sounds too complimentary, honestly. And then uh, he's like a, a mid Colt McCoy. <laughs> I I just think that their offense dries up really fast. If you take away those deep shots, did you notice anything about how SMU or Cincinnati played him? That was effective. Yeah. I think I yeah. So SMU particularly was able to stop the run. 
well, pretty yeah. effectively with an honest box. Uh, Cincinnati did different stuff, but uh, SMU for good portions of the game had two safeties standing in the middle of the field. Um, Cincinnati always had at least one, and then they would sometimes slide or roll coverages. It looked like three across. And then guys would sort of converge in like deeper, and then they'd have the corners playing man, but they only had sort of inside responsibility. They also they played kind of off, didn't they? Yeah, they played it off, and they they encouraged OU to dink and dunk. Yeah, yeah, and that that was what I noticed in both of those games. Is both teams were like, take away the deep shots, can you beat us throwing underneath? Yeah, and and you notice the OU def- the OU offense, I should say, sort of ground to a halt. Like it would move around a little between. I wouldn't even say the twenties. It sort of moved around between the thirties <laughs> or the forties. Yeah, but right. it would just sort of grind to a halt because they, they couldn't. So part of OU's problem is they don't run very well when you know they're going to run. And I think that's going to be a real problem for them against Texas. So I think, for example, our, the first third and one OU has, it's a deep shot. I, I don't think they're going to run it at Tavondre Sweat <laughs> because I, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they think they're going to convert that. I think it's going to be a play action deep shot or or some sort of, waggle you know they're going to roll out dylan gabriel and austin stogner in the flat something like that right you know what else they love on third and one is uh zone read yeah because teams routinely forget that gabriel can pull the ball and get around the edge yep yeah what if if they watched any of our kansas tape they're they will they will be inclined to run a little maybe speed option or zone read and See if, uh, and I think Pete, probably the instruction this week was if the quarterback has the ball, hit him and pursuit will clean up the pitch, man, if you're not sure what to do. Uh, So that'll be interesting. You know, they they will walk a fine line there. Look, this is an important game. So if Quinn Ewers has to duck his head to get it eight yards, you know, to convert a third down, he's going to do that, whether he gets hit or not. Dylan Gabriel is going to do the same and sort of the cards fall where they may. But, um, the chips fall where they may, right? Isn't that what you say? Isn't that the expression? I think so. Okay. Card, cards card. falling doesn't really indicate anything in any game that I'm aware of. Well, it's it's like the old uh, when you're a little kid and you go, do you want to play 52 pickup? Another kid goes, yeah. And then you throw the cards in the air and go pick it up. Uh, all right. We could probably pull that on the Sooners on Saturday. Probably get a cheap score off that. Uh, so Dylan Gabriel, let's talk about the run game. Look, the Sooners have had a pretty good history of quality running backs. And what's weird about them and their depth chart is I think their most experienced, least talented guys get most of the work. Mm-hmm. And their most talented guys are sort of buried on the depth chart. Uh, yeah. I think there's a little attempt to try to get those guys going against Iowa State, but I don't know. But Marcus Major... It's fine. Uh, Tawi Walker, fine. Uh, I like, I like Gavin Sawcheck, but yeah. So, um, Brent Venables was asked why Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawcheck haven't seen more action, and he mentioned that their practice habits need to be Are better. Poor. Yeah, yeah. So, 
not even not even reading between the lines it sounds like they have some lack of buy-in and entitlement from the more talented backs and so they're not they're not giving in so marcus major does not suck i mean he's he's fine but he's not going to remind texas fans uh i mean forget demarco murray he was actually excellent but He's not going to even remind Texas fans of Kennedy Brooks, who had like a legitimate ability to hit a 70-yard run on you, right, if it was blocked correctly. Right. He's more of a, a mid-runner. Uh, <laughs> and I think he's proficient, but he's not like a guy that scares you, I don't think. I do think Tommy Walker is kind of a load. He's, he's a like- little short guy who runs with power. He's yeah, he's not going to kill you, but he can he can lean on you a little bit. I I don't know what would happen if he got 25 decently blocked carries. I they might be he might be fairly productive. But I I hope that that's not going to happen. <laughs> I hope their game plan is Tawi Walker gets 25 carries for 72 yards and uh <laughs> That's probably what that it, that's probably what it would look like if he did think that against Texas. And they punt 11 times that would be fine with me um all right let's talk about the wide receivers because this is where i've seen a lot of 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 change and i think we could see an emergence or maybe not an emergence of some guys but in the in the start of the season their starters were drake stoops gavin freeman uh jaleel farouk that was that those were sort of the guys manning it jaleel farouk is a known quantity i think he's a sort of their version of jordan whittington maybe better frankly uh yeah better better on the ball yes and then they had gavin freeman who sort of had his debut against arkansas state he's since been relegated um drake stoops is still the steady you know coach on the field playing slot um you know good for him i don't think jude baron is terrified of drake stoops but the interesting emergence has been two guys one guy from your neck of the woods you're familiar with, that's Andrell Anthony Anthony from Michigan, the transfer. He was kind of a second teamer at Michigan. Um, I, don't, I don't know why he transferred. He's, he's had good games for OU. The even more dangerous guy that caught my eye, Ian, is Nick Anderson. He's a redshirt freshman, about 6'4", 210 from Texas. He was a four-star recruit. He, he played for Katie. Yeah. Uh, and I recall seeing his tape and be like, whoa, Texas should recruit this guy. And then I guess it never just got off the launch pad, but he's flashed. He's the most physically talented of the group. He's tall. He's fast. He's physical. Uh, He looks the most like the classic Bryles receiver you want standing on the outside, you know, threatening your defense. Um, So I think we're going to see Nick Anderson, Jaleel Farouk and Andrew Anthony you know, along with a little bit of Drake Stoops. I think that's going to be the rotation. What do you think? I think we're still going to see a lot of Drake Stoops because I don't know if the other guys are as reliable on like the chain moving stuff. Yeah. Um, I I am on this bizarre crusade, I've noticed, an, an unwilling crusade where I've repeatedly had to explain to Texas fans that Drake Stoops is actually a pretty good football player. And he doesn't just play at Oklahoma because he's a Stoops. Like they will move him into the backfield and have him lead block like Jordan Whittington. And he does 
a remarkably credible job of it at 190 pounds or whatever. Um, but yeah, Jordan Whittington is, is actually a good comparison for him too, because he's just not really terrifying if you have him covered with a good slot corner. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think in, in a game like this, Oklahoma needs to land big shots. This has to be like when Casey Thompson came out and landed every shot early against Oklahoma in 2021. That's kind of what Oklahoma needs this year. Only it's almost a little more probable than it was with Casey because Casey hadn't hit anything. Yeah. And Gabriel's been landing deep shots for like five years now or six yeah, years. Yeah, for his career. Um, yeah. So let's cover the offensive line. And then I want to talk about offensively how OU can beat Texas, how okay. OU can take down what I think will probably be the best unit out there Saturday, the Texas defense. So we'll see. Um, very quickly, the Sooner offensive line is now Walter Rouse is the starting left tackle. He's a transfer from Stanford. He's played well for them. He's He was really important that they get him in the portal. Uh, they had been starting Savion Bird next to him, talented guy from Duncanville. He plays high. He's weak. And he forgets assignments. And he was by far their worst offensive lineman. He was getting exploited. And... OU has benched him. And in his place, they've been playing the guy who was their backup center. That's Troy Everett. He's a transfer from Appalachian State. He's about 6'3", 295. Not a big guy, but... Uh, if yeah, if that. But he's competent, and he doesn't make mistakes. So Savion Bird wasn't just getting physically worked, which he was. He was making big errors. Just unblocked guys, you know, going the wrong way on a counter, like stuff like that kind of stuff. Uh, so they've at least stabilized things inside with this guy, the backup center, uh, Everett. The center is Andrew Rame. Andrew Rame mysteriously has been mentioned and made it on like all big 12 teams before. He's not very good. Uh, he's a passable pass blocker and he, he can't push anyone around who's strong. Uh, that's just the reality on Rame. And then... Right guard is McCade Matower. He's a transfer from Cal. This is his second year starting at OU. Uh, he's fine. His He reminds me the most of Hayden Connor. Yeah, I was going to say that. Because he's a good pass blocker. Yeah. Legitimately good, and he's a big guy, and he's long. Uh, he's not a good run blocker. He doesn't get movement. He, doesn't, he will consistently hit the right guy in run yes. block. Yes. He will, but he's not going to drive him off the ball. And then I got to give uh, credit to right tackle Tyler Guyton. Um, early in his career, I thought this guy sucks and he's going to be a big bust and he won't start. And he just incrementally improved. So if you're, I guess you're looking for a comp, he might be there, Christian Jones. I don't, I don't think he's as physically overpowering as Christian Jones can be. Because uh, in my mind, Christian Jones has been our best offensive lineman through five games. He's Christian Jones. If Christian Jones was really good at pass blocking and iffy at run blocking. Okay, so he's the he's the bizarro Christian Christian Jones. All right, interesting. I think so. He's the no, anti. He's the antichrist, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about not, that? I don't. I don't know if he's bad at run blocking, but I think, like everyone else in this offensive line, his pass blocking is is better. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say they don't bust in pass protection. 
Not not that now that Everett's in there, yeah. No, they they're pretty clean, just like we are, right? I mean, we've seen a noticeable improvement in our pass protection as well. Uh, I think. Well, look, I always laugh when people compare offensive lines. They don't face each other, so it's not relevant. But if you're trying to understand OU's offensive line, they are better at pass blocking than run blocking, just like ours. But our run blocking is better than their run blocking. Yeah. So, and I think, look, I mean, I wrote about this in my postmortem for Kansas. Y'all should read it if you haven't. You can go search it up. We're a right. We're now a right-handed running team. Strongly right-handed running team, like substantially. We run in the middle and right, and then we run left. Uh, and typically, when we do, it's like a counter, which is kind of interesting. So, kind of because of the aforementioned Hayden Connor thing, like you know, not a great uh, run blocker. He's not getting great push. So, anyway, just to help you guys compare, and in terms of tight end, not good. Uh, we're also, again, it's kind of like running back. We're used to like pretty capable guys range. We're ranging from like good to like great runners at OU. We're kind of used to good to great tight ends at OU. Uh, not the case this year. Austin Stogner has probably actually gotten worse as a player. He's tall, about six, six. He's more of a pass catcher than a blocker, but I wouldn't say he's a great pass catcher. I mean, he's, he's capable, but not like a terrifying threat. It probably all that surface area and hits in college have not helped, especially hits in the SEC. Yeah. It's fair. So, uh, behind him also is less. Yes. They don't, they don't have like a young, um, I'm trying to think of one of their better. They don't have a young Mark Andrews that I'm aware of. No. It's like, well, no. once, once he has a few more reps, they have, they're probably, they're like, their best hope in the future is like to have a young Jeff Swaim. Yeah. I So I've heard stuff about Cade McIntyre being sort I of, actually, uh, yeah, he's kind of their um, Cade Brewer type guy but he's young and he's not ready yet he's not he's not going to be like some breakout star in the red river shootout so all right so we've broken down the personnel you guys have heard this based on what ian and i have told you against the texas defense what would your strategy be are you going to run the ball with a run deficient blocking offensive line against tavondre sweat byron murphy alfred collins uh, Jalen Ford, Jalen Catalan coming from the third level? Or are you going to try to attack Texas through the air? Are you going to spread us out a little bit and maybe take advantage of Jaron Thompson, maybe not being a 4-4 guy and more of a 4-6 guy? Maybe attack Keaton Crawford's recognition, frankly. Um, what do you think, Ian? Your OU, we flipped the field are we going to establish the run or are we going to try to spread it out and then try to get Texas reeling? And then that's how you, you're able to run the ball a little effectively, maybe mix, mixing in some Dylan Gabriel zone read, stuff like that. Yeah. So I've been, I've been thinking like Oklahoma needs to land some shots. They need a like pre thumb injury, pre 
pass protection breakdown 2021 Casey Thompson kind of deal. Yep. Where Gabriel comes in and, and land shots. I think I already said that in this podcast. You, you did. Um, but you can't do that every down. So they're going to have to try to get really creative and at least scheme ways to run the ball where they don't take like negative plays and run stuffs. Yeah. They need to really figure out formations where they can at least pick up like four yards here, three yards here, you know? Yeah. I mean, I got to think that they're going to try to involve Dylan Gabriel's legs, but try to do it safely. I mean, if, if they land, how many, how many deep shots do they need to land to make it all work? Like define a deep shot, 20 yards or 60 yards. A explosive play that makes scoring on that drive a near certainty. Oh, not they got to they got to nail three of those. Yeah, right. That's that's probably doable. I mean, they may not hit any. I'm not I'm not dooming the Texas secondary, but I think uh, their problem is when they hit them because if they hit two of the three in the late fourth quarter, the game may not matter by then, right? Everything else may have fallen apart. They have to hit him early. They got to hit him early and kind of get us reeling and a little scared. Yep. Um, is it fair to say that Dylan Gabriel's pretty good at RPOs? Uh, they say he is this year. I have not actually watched very closely. Last year, it felt like he got fake reads most of the time. Have, have you observed this? Do you, do you know if he's improved? I I think he's improved. Yeah. In fact, he throws really accurately and decisively middle. And I want to say left. Where he's like, rolling because it's left-handed. Yeah. Rolling or just standing in the pocket. Yeah. And it's short and intermediate and he throws well and decisively. Uh, you know how slick Quinn Ewers looked? kind of in the second half against Kansas, throwing some RPOs, some of those RPOs. Yeah. that's I've seen Dylan Gabriel look like that in a couple of games. Hmm. But I've also seen SMU just stand two safeties there and say, you know, you're not going to throw that. So uh, the other thing about Dylan Gabriel, I think he's listed charitably at six feet tall. I think he's probably 5'10". He's 5'10". I've stood next to him. Okay. And you're six three and a half. Yeah, I had to look down. You're barrel chested, just staring out at him. He's all intimidated. He's in reality, he's like uh, slightly larger than me. Did you push him or do anything physical to him? No, I mean he's larger enough that that was not a wise choice on my part. Did you think about cutting his hamstring? No. Okay. All right, man. Hey, man. It's the Sooners. All's fair in love and world. That. Their whole premise is that they cheat. It's the whole premise of the school, Ian. If if you were in my shoes and you saw him walking around to Big 12 Media Days the last couple of years, you would not think the most important thing for Texas is to prevent this person from seeing the field. Yeah, exactly. What's a credit to him, right? I mean, he's a a pretty good athlete. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. so, So my point about that was Alfred Collins, and I got to say, Tavondre Sweat, Tavondre Sweat particularly, 
have done a great job of when they collapse the pocket, they get their arms up. Yeah. And it's one thing to reject JT Daniels' pass at 6'3", and he's got a classic throwing motion. Dylan Gabriel has to find windows to throw through. He can't throw over guys, right? So that's going to be important. That's one of the more important reasons when people say we got to have containment and good pass rush discipline. That's actually the reason. It's not so much I'm worried about Dylan Gabriel going Jalen Milrow on us and dropping a 60-yard touchdown. It's I want someone in his face, and I want someone obscuring his passing windows, constraining and constricting the pocket so that he doesn't have a clear place that he can throw the ball. And that's when you see Dylan Gabriel get a little spazzy under pressure. And I've seen that throughout his career, and I haven't seen a defense yet be able to do it to him. And I think we might have the formula to do that on a few plays at least. Uh, Cincinnati probably got it to him a little bit there in that regard. Yeah, their problem was they got the push from the interior, but Dylan Gabriel kept ejecting out the, out the side. Yeah. Sam Ellinger style and completing, you know, or running for six yards or doing whatever, whatever salvaging. Yeah. So it's important that Sorrell, Anthony Hill, uh, a blitzing corner, a blitzing nickel, you know, you know how we like to contain. It's really important that they keep some depth and, and not cheat and try to take a shortcut to the quarterback and get run around. So, um, all right. What else is just from one, uh, one, uh, one, final, one final note on that. This sure. is the kind, the kind of game that's just like the perfect storm for revealing all of his limitations. Right. Yes. Just like keep him in, keep him in a congested pocket with enormous people. Yes. And then he, the people that are protecting him on the interior, their tackles are huge. Yeah. But their interior guys that have to go up against Murphy and Collins and Sweat are smaller than they are. Mm-hmm. Smaller and less athletic. Yes. It, uh, this is this is paints a dire picture. It does, and and that's why the Sooners are going to have to have a game plan. Like the notion of like we're going to go out and run our stuff. We believe in our stuff. Like no. that, Texas will stuff their ass, like play one to play 60, and it's going to be a blowout. Like Baylor so, even. OU understands this. They're going to have a cool, they're going to have a cool game plan, right? The question is how long it can last. Like when does the script run out? Anything else on OU's offense in terms of their approach? Um, one final thought. Last year in maybe this year they'd have a lot of games where they would, they would game plan ways to get their receivers open on like a uh, fake screens, wheel routes, whatever land some, use those to get the receivers open. Gabriel would hit their shots, score some points early. And then defenses be like, okay, we, we figured out their little pet plays for this game. And then their offense would just go completely dry because the receivers could not get separation um, and the run, game, the run game would would uh, falter in obvious rundowns like third and one or red zone or whatever. And they just said they had nothing. They just totally dry up. I I feel like that Oklahoma is still there. Um, the hope with like Farouk getting better and Andrell Anthony or Nick Anderson is that they can approximate what they already had with Marvin Mims. Yeah. 
like it, it's very it's not only possible it's probably very likely that this Oklahoma offense is worse than it was a year ago and it just hasn't been exposed because of the level of competition and then and I do think Dylan Gabriel has played better than last year but everything around him I think is is worse I don't know I don't know about that no no I think their offensive line is better at tackle both those guys got drafted last year. Yeah, they got drafted, didn't they? Yeah, that's wrong. They're, they're more talented they're at tackle. Much, they're not as much worse at tackle. I mean, they might be a little better. It's shocking how good they are at tackle, given that they just had two guys drafted. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a weakness, to tell you the truth. In, in my preseason write-ups, I thought they were that was going to be a weakness for them, and it didn't prove out that way. Well, because Rouse is – if they hadn't gotten Rouse, it would be very different. Yeah, that it would be a little more dire. Um, all right, you want to talk about the defense? Yeah. This is where it gets interesting. So Oklahoma's defense, if you look at counting stats, as they say, you know, which is sort of even some advanced statistics, uh, this is like a top five defense in the country. Uh, Ian's laughing, but, you know, now have they played a quarterback? Have they played real offenses? I think the answer to that is no. Uh, the best offense and the best quarterback they've faced is SMU and Parker Stone. And he's not looked great this year. So TCU held him in check. If that gives you some you know, perspective. So let's talk about the defense because they have clearly improved and they, their personnel have improved. That's inarguable, right? Yep. The question is how much? So I'll go over the, the front real quick. They do play a fair amount of guys, but the guys on the edge play the majority of the snaps. Um, Rondell Boythroyd, he's the transfer from Wake. He's a big defensive end, about 6'3", 275. The, the other end is Ethan Downs. He's about 6'4", 265. He also plays, well, I wouldn't say alternates, but I'd say a third of his snaps go to Trace Ford. And then they really like... Uh, at a barway. Is that how you pronounce it? I have no idea. You know what I'm talking about? The freshman? Yeah, yeah. The five it's, star? Phonetically, it would be like Adeboware or something. Adeboware. So he's like 6'4, 240, like super raw, crazy fast, very impressive player. When he's a junior, he's going to be a monster. Young Joseph Osai. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. And then inside, it's just a lot of guys. <laughs> and I, I don't know how else to explain it other than they've got about eight different dudes and they play a, like six of them a lot at the two defensive tackle positions. And it's not like Texas where it's a bunch of really good guys alternating. OU's just a bunch of average to above average guys alternating. I don't know if you'd even started at below average to above average, but um, it's it's been an improvement though over last year because they were terrible inside. Um, what have you noticed, uh, Jonah Lalu or any of those guys, Isaiah Coe? I mean, have any individual guys jumped out at you in games? Uh, some of them have jumped out to me for being not very good. Yeah, that's been usually what stands out. Um, 
Laulu, I am impressed with him for the fact that he came in as like a 260-pound end, played in last year, and then this year bulked up, and, they, and he's playing like respectable at defensive tackle. I actually met him at Big 12 Media Days, and he was a, a friendly, thoughtful kid also. So credit to him. But I mean, ideally at Oklahoma in the future, he'd be a backup for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he's, he's a uh, explosive and he's not like a awful liability. They, but they don't have anyone that can really hold the point of attack. No. And they've, they've masked it with weak competition and, aggressive linebacker play and blitzing. So I think part of how they've masked it, Ian, honestly, I wasn't exaggerating when I say they played just waves of them. I think they just tell the, the, the main backups, like you're going to play really like four really hard snaps and then we're going to get you out. Yeah. So just go as hard as you can, man. Do not hold anything back because uh-huh. you're not good enough. <laughs> Like, and and we don't need you for 50 snaps. We're going to have someone else in here. And I think that's kind of what they're doing. Uh, And it's actually created an improvement. Because last year, they weren't good and they were getting beaten down and tired. And that's, that's a bad combo. I know you remember this. In the year 2000, when they won the national championship, they didn't, they didn't send them in waves but their defensive line was absolutely exclusively go bust your butt as hard as you can. And we'll make up for it with uh, Roy Williams and Rocky Kalmus. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just a system system thing. Uh, Both. Uh, Bothroyd has been. He's pretty good. Pretty good for them. Uh, he's yeah. definitely been improvement. He's pretty solid against the run. I don't think he's going to like round the edge, you know, uh, Lawrence Taylor style and, and get a strip sack. Um, and then Ethan Downs is interesting because he seems to excel against lower tier competition and then sort of disappears against better players. So I'll be curious to see if that's the case as well against Texas. Uh, let's yeah. talk about linebacker because that's been really interesting. <laughs> so Jaron Kanak is kind of like the successor to the myth of Teddy Lehman. Uh, there was a reality of Teddy Lehman, which is actually a very good linebacker. But there was also the hilarious myth If you guys are – it was one of the first memes I was ever exposed to, I think, on the internet, which was OU fans believing Teddy Lehman ran a 4-140. Um <laughs> It was it was a thing in the internet. OU fans uh, believed this in all their hearts that he had been hand timed at a four one forty or something, and faster than Bo Jackson and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so there was all these memes about Teddy Lehman and his speed. He was in fact fast. Uh, he was a very good linebacker for them. But Jaron Kanak sort of replaced him in the OU heart uh, of of. of you know, this is the most the fastest linebacker who's ever played in the Big 12 and all this stuff. Um, is it me or have they kind of semi-benched him? Uh, have they? 
I thought they kinda. But he played a lot in this. Um, now he had to leave the Cincinnati game because he was coughing up blood. Oh uh, well, that'll that'll do it. Uh, that's not really a benching, but I've seen him pulled. Like not like we're resting you, but more like get off the field. You just screwed that up. <laughs> I'm, I probably. So I, I think place where I, he screwed it up. So I, I think he's more great athlete than linebacker right now. Yeah, and he's playing Mike for them. Yeah, that's kind of important. <laughs> like your Mike linebacker kind of know like where to go, what holes to fit, etc. Uh, the Will linebacker is a name y'all will probably know. Uh, Danny Stutzman. He's interesting, Ian, because he's a guy that was overrated last year, but then has actually improved and now is probably as good as he was su supposed to be last year. If that makes any sense. I, I will say on Stutzman, he gets to the ball so dang fast. Yeah, he's got good instincts. His, his recognition and his play speed is so good. But I've seen multiple times where he gets to where he needs to be and then just gets bulldozed because he has no yeah. leverage. Yeah, Roshan Johnson famously uh, ran, like not only like literally ran him over, like put his cleats on him as he ran him over in the 49-0 in the, in the uh, last edition of the Red River shootout. Uh, his backup's Kip Lewis. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but he's small, super fast, like big I'm clubs. In the in yeah. yeah, super fast, like undersized, hyper dude. Uh, Desan McCullough, not quite the impact player promised, and he plays the cheetah position. Um, this is when they they he could kind of be a traditional 4 3 linebacker, but he could also line up in the nickel, yeah, and this would be the third opponent in a row, Ian, where they've had the idea of the oversized nickel who helps out against the run and blitzes. Baylor had a guy like that. Uh, Kansas had a guy like that. It's not gone well for them against Texas. No. So is Desan McCullough going to do something else? Is he going to like line up on the edge and like this is their wrinkle? He's going to be an edge rusher or a blitzer every, every down? Or are we going to force him off the field and they're going to have to put in a, a true nickel? See, they don't, but they don't really have that guy. Like, who do they put in if they don't play McCullough? I mean, if they're desperate, they'll put Billy, they'll roll Billy Bowman down there. Yeah. I, there's not great answers for them. I, yeah. I feel like this is one of the fulcrum decisions and matchups in this is what to do with him. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, he is not only is he, so he's for everyone listening. He's like 6'5", 225. Built like he should be bulked up into an edge, but mm -hmm. I don't think he has any interest in doing so. Sees himself as more of a safety. I don't think he's interested in that edge life. Yeah, he's not about that. No. Um, very good. He's a little bit like Harold Positionless Birkins, as I'm now calling him. <laughs> Where he is, when he can just like see ball, close distance and tackle, he looks like a world beater. Yeah. But it's, you have to learn a position from which to blitz from is the lesson that happens over and over with these guys. And he is not a reliable uh, space linebacker, safety hybrid guy in coverage. 
and he has liabilities that are very obvious. And it's going to like Oklahoma is going to have to spend if they start him at their nickel Sam position, they're going to have to expend a tremendous amount of game plan energy on preventing Quinn Ewers from noticing either a, when he's isolated in coverage or B how Oklahoma is choosing to protect him on a given down and where that exposes them somewhere else. I mean, just basic run fits. There's that too. I mean, if, if you know a guy's blitzing every down, you you could fill that vacant space with with a running back <laughs> with the ball. There's a lot there's, of problems. Oh, there's ways to do that, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, again, I just say it's a, a continuation of a trend of UT opponents who have the big the big nickel, whatever they call it, the star, the cheetah, the hero, that whatever position, the viper. Viper. <laughs> like um, generally speaking. You want that guy to be Jade Baron more often than not. Venables does like these bigger guys. He does. And you know what? When you've got an incredible defensive line and you've got killer man-to-man cornerbacks yeah. and then experienced safeties, that's a that's a that's a killer asset to have to move around and and blitz and disrupt the run and do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think that'll be interesting. Let's talk about the the, the sooner secondary. Mm. Uh, as a general thought, they're dramatically improved from last year. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know I'm understanding that there's no way. But my three-year-old son is way taller, <laughs> way taller than when he first came into the school. That's it. That's true. So it's a relativistic statement. Um, you and I both like Bowen. We both like Bowman. Yeah. Key Lawrence. Hmm. He and Reggie Pearson, the tech transfer, seem to be sort of alternating, but Key Lawrence maybe has won the job. Yeah. Have you watched that guy at all? What what what's he what's he good at? What's he not good at? I ha- I just haven't noticed him really. Oh, if you go watch that Iowa State game, you'll you'll notice him that, blowing some stuff. That, he's the guy that you're like. Like I had some sooners tell me, like, oh, he was playing for the interception on that deep post completion. And I was like, oh. And then others were like, oh, he wanted to make a big hit. And that's why he missed the play. It's like, looks to me like he just took a god-awful angle Mm. and uh, has poor spatial um, reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Is he He slow? he, He gets downhill fast in the run game. Okay. That's that's the that's the positive. All right, the two corners are <clears throat> Gentry Williams and Woody Washington. Woody Washington's been there forever. He's a redshirt senior. He was supposed to be the next big thing shutdown corner for Alex Grinch back in the day, right? Didn't yeah. really materialize. He doesn't suck. No. He's just fine. He's he's probably better than fine. Yeah, he's I think so. But their game plan is necessarily going to need to be like, hey, don't get torched by Xavier Worthy or Adonai Mitchell. Yeah. And I don't know if he can handle either of those. Yeah, that kind of brings up Gentry Williams. Uh, sophomore, not very experienced. He looks like he has some traits, but 
anything with some complexity to it, he seemed to struggle. Like, I, I think OU struggles a little bit with mixing coverages. I think they're playing more basic, and that's helping eliminate the bus. Plus, they've all, they've all matured a year in the system. But Venables likes to do some pretty cool combo coverages. And I don't know if they're sophisticated enough to pull that off, like, under pressure. Yeah, they've I, I, they've done a lot more this year, I think. Um, but, they, I mean, they've been playing these teams, Paul. Like, Cincinnati couldn't throw the ball to punish to save their lives. No. And uh, Preston Stone got some guys lined up in his sights and just missed. Yep. And uh, Rocco Beck actually made them pay a few times. And they had to they had to amp up their pressure. Yeah. And Iowa State looked like they had no game plan for what to do if the other team blitzed. It was remarkable. Um, so let's talk about that game plan. Okay. What's the sooner game plan against yours in Texas? I it's, think it's gotta be pressure. Yes. You can't yeah. just let yours pick you apart. No, no. They have so many weaknesses. You've got to bring it. Right. It's gotta be it's gotta be all kinds of zone blitzes. Yes. It may be primarily sending four or five. I think they're gonna jailhouse it every now and then at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They will. They will. Yeah. I, I think it's a lot of four and five man zone blitzes, just like every down. And then and then the jailhouse every now and then as well. Because they just yeah. You want to you want to attack DJ Campbell and Christian Jones and make sure that they can pick your stuff up, and you want to keep Quinn Ewers from ever getting a good sense of what you're doing and where his uh, where all of his matchup advantages are, because if he knows where they are half the game, that might be enough to just bury you. So that's so. Here's something, Longhorn fans, to prepare yourselves for. And Ian, you tell me if you co-sign on this. There's going to be a few rocky drives where they get the drop on us, and we're doing a play action. And as you, you yours is turning around to get ready to throw, he's getting hit. Yeah, it's, it's just going to happen. But also understand, we're also going to convert like a third and fifteen. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that's what's been happening in Oklahoma this year. Yeah. Against much weaker passing games. So I would say the other thing, too, is be persistent with the running game, but don't be stubborn. In other words, early when they're fresh and they're full of aggression and they're bringing it like maniacs, there's no reason to run into it. Right? Yeah. Like, let's get the ball out. Let's do some – let's see if we can protect, first of all. Uh, but let's get the ball out quickly. And then, by all means, let's do let's do a nice five-step drop, see if we can protect when they blitz. Because if they can, <laughs> I mean, Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell are going to be running – one of them is going to be one-on-one. Yep. And that's a good thing. Yep. So I would just say let's not – Let's take a little wind out of their sails with the blitz and all that. Get some confusion going, get them thinking, get, you know, 
have sooner coaches start screaming at the linebackers about getting their drops, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you start handing the ball off and then you start to wear on that interior defensive line. You start to slow down their pass rush and they start, they start playing on their back foot. That's kind of how I view it. But here's the alternative for, for OU. Let's rush three or four and play coverage and let's play zone and, and make Texas move up and down the field. I don't think they have the personnel. I don't think they have the discipline. And I think it plays right into our hands. And I think Brooks will run for 150 and Ewers will throw for 290. Yep. So they, they have got to bring it. And I think with that, we've got to be prepared as a fan base to see some ugly series and then also see some beautiful series. Uh, and I guess that is what could speed this game up, particularly if OU's early script on offense is working. You could get some points on the board in this game pretty early. And then it could settle down on both sides. I mean, you remember in, um, in 2021, Texas landed all these shots. They blocked a punt. They yeah. both to see enormous lead. And that and some of the Caleb Williams heroics obscured a major fact about that game, which is that there were two actually obscured two major facts about that game. One is that once Oklahoma kind of reconfigured their defensive lineup up front, Texas couldn't block them at all. And two, Texas could not stop the counter run play to save their lives. No. And that game honestly should have been an Oklahoma blowout win. But Texas blocked a punt. Casey Thompson landed a bunch of shots. Spencer Rattler lost his ever-loving mind. Again. And had to be again and had to be benched. It's been benched twice. Every time I see like South Carolina, people are like, Spencer Rattler, first round pick, Spencer Rattler, he's a gamer. I'm like, no, I'm never gonna believe it until I see something dramatic. Uh, the guy that guy cracks me up um the bench twice in the red river shootout and won both games (laughs) unreal unreal he's in the first one to do that too all right so we talked about offense defense ou's game plans and approaches we're i think we're in we're seeing it similarly Other than penalties, turnovers, bad drops, just the nature of football, is there anything in particular that would concern you? In other words, it's 24-24 in a tight game late, and Bird Auburn trots out for a 47-yard field goal. Do you feel confident, or do you just wish we'd go for it on fourth and five and try to go score the touchdown? I would rather go for it. I would do <laughs> right now. No <laughs> offense, Bert. No, Bert. Um, three yarder, I might feel different, but my concern in this game is just like they land some shots, they catch um, Catalan, Thompson, Crawford, whoever, um, flat footed or, or or going the wrong way on something, and or if we don't have Ryan Watts in this game, yeah. That, that I mean, probably they're still fine because the backup corners in this team are tremendous, but you would rather have Ryan Watts out there. 
Yeah, he's very physical and he's pretty good actually against bigger, fast receivers. Uh, he's reliable too. He just, you know, um, they land a few shots. Maybe they get a sack strip on one of those blitzes that actually gets home. Maybe they get a special teams play. And then I would still think that Texas, even if all those things go wrong, kind of like in 2021, I still think it's a game in the fourth quarter. But you don't you've you've already yielded half your advantages. So that that would be like my fear for how this game could go for Texas is that Oklahoma kind of steals it like Texas did in 2015 or like Texas almost did in 2017. For sure. Um, these things happen in this game, I guess. But they have so many advantages in this game, Paul. I agree. More than I've seen even Oklahoma have maybe ever. No. You, can you remember? Well, okay. Because <laughs> I've watched this game. Ian, slow down. In like 2000. <laughs> Do you remember a time when Oklahoma had this many matchup advantages in this game? Um, the blowout. Twenty eleven. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, they they were just much better in yeah. every phase. They they scored three defensive touchdowns. Twenty eleven. Yeah. So that <laughs> like, one is the that one is the that one is a good uh, counter. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know, man. I've I've seen some traumatizing OU games. Even in so. 2011, Texas like had a game defense and mostly stopped the run. I'm sad to say that some of the OU blowouts of Texas run together, and I can't always remember them distinctly. I remember them all. Oh, all too well. That's sad. Well, I'll tell you what. If you pick up the phone and call this guy when you're getting a mortgage, you will have a decided schematic advantage and a personnel advantage because the guy's talented. His name is Gabe Winslow. You can reach him at 832-557-1095. He is a diehard Longhorn fan, and uh, he's been hard at work this week, but I think like many of us, he's distracted by this game and wants it to be Saturday uh, so bad. It's like a, a little kid sitting watching when they hear that there's a winter storm coming. And you think you might have a white Christmas. That's how I feel about this game. I'm sure that's how Gabe feels as well. But he'll do your mortgage. This is a great week to get some of that energy out and uh, explore some of your financial options, whether it's with David McClellan or Gabe Winslow. Uh, Gabe, of course, is a mortgage broker. He's going to be the guy you want to partner with when you're buying a house. And uh, even if you're not imminently buying a house in the next few weeks, uh, but you're looking at it maybe in the summer, or maybe you're looking at it uh, after Christmas, whatever, pick up the phone. Get in a prequal now. Talk to Gabe now. Talk about a game plan and a strategy because there are levels to this and he's operating at the highest level. And you'll understand that very quick when you talk to him. 832-557-1095. I've been talking to a guy right now who's been operating at the highest level. And uh, Ian, I want to thank you for your time. Do you have any parting thoughts on this matchup? Anything that we need to know? Uh, were you as shocked as me that... I was able to bet Texas minus four and a half a week ago. There's all these models, Paul, that they, these, uh, I feel like everyone should just learn to hate models and modelers that can claim they're like, Oh, I have this algorithm that takes in all these inputs and yeah. tells what the future is going to be. They are 
I, there's probably some use for those, but they are largely BS. Football is more of an open-ended system than people believe. Football is probably a better place to apply them than in some other places. <laughs> Epidemiology. Epidemiology, <laughs> maybe. But, um, but even in football, these models get so odd by Oklahoma beating like Central Arkansas 70 to three or whatever the score yes. was, right? And they, they just don't, it's something that I've been talking about and writing about for years, as you know, Ian, which is there's no meaningful distinction when Michigan decides to lay it up and they beat someone 38 to three because they want to try their new dive series or, right. or they just want to like run clock and get out of the game and they want as few possessions as possible. Right. And then someone will go out and beat that same team 70 to three. And they think, oh, that team's 32 points better than Michigan, <laughs> right? And even if you're like, well, that's unsophisticated. We don't think that. We do know that that team is more explosive than Michigan. Actually, you don't know that because yeah. Michigan didn't even run their offense. Right. right? They, have, they have all these things that are supposed to account for that. And you just they can't. You just can't. No. You know what else you can't account for? Part. <laughs> yeah. Pride. <laughs> Our offense is really good at pass protection and taking deep shots and not very good at anything else. But if you can't stop us from doing that, we are going going to to, murder you. We're going to murder you on the scoreboard. Yeah. But if you can, uh Oh, it's 20 to six. Or we can't really play sound coverage. Our Mike linebacker doesn't consistently know where his run fit is, but if you can't pick up all our blitzes, we're just going to murder you. It's still third and 14. But if you can, right? Uh oh. Uh oh. These apply to this Oklahoma team. So your point, and I think this is important: a great deal of football is pass fail, and you see a team continuously getting passing grades against bad competition, and you assume they can't fail. Yes. But you ratchet up the competition level. And it's not that they, oh, they go from a 95 out of 100 to a 88 out of 100. It's pass, fail. Yep. And you, we saw a minor version of that with Kansas. Kansas has improved on defense. Believe it or not, Texas fans, I know we, we judge everything from how we played against the team, right? They tackled really improved. well. I, I couldn't believe huh? how well they I could I was surprised by how well they tackled. Yeah. They're physical. Yeah. But. But. <laughs> but they were improved against bad to below average offenses. Which, by the way, bad to below average offenses used to give them a lot of problems. Right? So that is an improvement. But when they played a good offense, in fact, a very good offense, they got lit up. So people think it's a arithmetic like, well, they're a, a, an A-plus against Illinois, so they'll be about a B-minus against Texas. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. It's pass-fail. <laughs> so, I, like I wasn't actually totally sure where you were going with that. but it was Yeah, like, does it make sense? I was very succinct. I like it. All right, I appreciate that. Well, in the spirit of succinctness and brevity, something you and I are not good at always, Ian, especially when we start babbling 
Um, I think we just talked for well over an hour and it felt like it was 10 minutes. Uh, but I hope all of you who are listening have a little bit of a better appreciation of OU, their personnel, what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, how they're going to try to attack us, and what they're going to try to cover up when we attack them. Uh, any final parting thoughts, Ian? Any You want to throw out a score? No. It's, uh, I mean, in Michigan, it's, Paul, it's 11.52. And? And? OU still sucks. Hook them. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, that's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. Do you need a realtor in Central Texas? Of course you do. We all need a realtor in Central Texas. Even those of us who live in Dallas or Houston or San Francisco or Denver, Colorado, you need to go to Central Texas anyway. And the reason is Laura Baker is a fantastic realtor. She's great at what she does. She's a member of the elite Andy Allen team for Keller Williams. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. Talk with Laura if you're thinking about putting your house on the market. This is a great time to get market comps. Uh, if you're looking to buy in the market, you need all the help you can get. Call Laura and it's 512-784-0505.